Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Lizzie. And we're queer people who love movies. This is Subtextual. I was 13. (laughs) (laughs) You've been singing that. I think it started as a joke, but then it's become like unironically stuck in both of our heads all day. It's like the anthem of my week. (laughs) Hi, I'm Lizzie. And I'm late for biology, actually. We're doing a play, and I'm a mermaid. Hi, I'm Sam. And that's how you get a bladder infection, you child abuser. (laughs) And welcome to Subtextual. I'm a tween again. God, is this what being a tween is like? This is what feels like being, like, 20 in the 90s is like. Right? Okay, right off the bat, just know we're going to talk about how unrealistic this was compared to my 13-year-old experience. I don't know what you were doing at 13, Sam. Rubik's Cubes. <laughs> That's what I was doing. Oh, so just like this. Yeah, just like this. Uh, but first, before we jump into Catherine Hardwick's a directorial debut, we want to say thank you so much for selecting this episode, pressing play. This is the first episode of our latest season. Did you miss Woo-woo-woo. us? Woo-woo. I literally... Miss y'all so much. It's crazy. (laughs) I was thinking about how much I miss being in the studio and editing and just like sharing shit with y'all. So yeah, glad to be back. Yeah, miss the crap out of you guys. Seriously. Yeah. And big thanks to our patron supporters over at patreon.com slash subtextual pod. If you want to check it out, we've got plenty of levels that are accessible, plenty of perks that are cool. Perk wise, for example, our highest level patrons actually selected this film as a main feed episode, and you can too. So check it out, patreon.com slash subtextualpod. And if that's not your bag, if you wouldn't mind just going onto the platform you're listening right now and giving us a little five star, 10 star review, um, we're trying to like, do a thing this year where we get lots of people to listen to our podcast. I think you say it's called do a thing. Manifesting. Yeah, we're doing <laughs> this a thing. Is a millennial. <laughs> just a little manifesting thing. Um, so just, yeah, thanks for listening and welcome to 13. Sam, thoughts, history? Oh, shoot. Um, I remember my oldest sister loved this movie along with Crazy Beautiful. I feel like there's a correlation there. I need to go back and watch Crazy Beautiful to see if it's anything like this. But this was always on in my sister's bedroom. I remember being, I don't really like body horror. There's a lot of piercing in this movie and a lot yeah. of like, I guess trigger warning. There's like a lot of self-harm shit, self-harm, yeah. and like, you know, things that aren't is exactly kosher. So I, I just remember going in and out of this movie. There are some scenes I remember super vividly and some that I could not tell you I'd ever seen before. What were the ones that you did remember? I remember all of the piercing scenes. Yeah. Very vividly. I remember the scene where they're like dancing after she gets like her belly button pierced or something. And she's like doing that dance in the kitchen. And I think another scene with like Nikki Reed, I think it's the one with all the fountains, not the fountains, but the sprinklers. Oh yeah. Where they're doing acid. Mm Mm-hmm. Itsy bitsy spider dropped acid in the park. park. I said, I literally do not know what acid was at age 13. No, I didn't know anything other than like a Flintstone vitamin. <laughs> okay, so this well, is your first intimate. time watching it, right? It was for the pod. First time watching it for the pod, but I do really enjoy Catherine Hardwick as a person and as a creator. Um, this is her directorial debut, which I love watching a director's first work. And honestly, I think this film is super unique and really well made for, you know, what they were able to do. Do I think it's a realistic portrayal of my tweenhood? Absolutely not. Do the people who like Euphoria have something to 
watch now that Euphoria is kind of going down the drain? Absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it did a lot of really cool things and obviously told a story that people related to. So I, I give it props for that, for being edgy. Um, she had a lot of trouble getting this movie made. The whole time Lizzie and I wa- were watching this movie, we were like, how did any parent sign their release right. for their child to act in this film? And how did any financier like put money behind 13-year-olds doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll talk more about that later. Uh, over to Lee. Lee, have you watched 13 or any of other Catherine Hardwick-directed films? Twilight. I've seen Twilight, <laughs> yes. Or uh, That was a trap. Wait, actually, I, don't, I think I stopped it. Uh, like halfway through or something, so because I, I I didn't get to the Still baseball counts. scene in a <laughs> Twilight. Wait, quick aside. I don't mean to interrupt you, Lee, but we were talking about the Oscars, yeah. and you were like, "Oh, I watched some of these, except for Maestro. I had to shut it off halfway through." <laughs> I'm just thinking, what about Maestro and Twilight? We're striking the same chords that you could not watch any more than half. You're like, that's enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, so maybe I'll like Maestro. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, no. Um, so I've seen that, and then I've seen scenes from, or I've seen like I don't think I've seen all of Lords of Dogtown. Like it was on at a friend's house or TV or something, but I've seen parts of that. I think that's it. Oh yeah, Lizzie, you love Lords of Dogtown. I love, love, love Lords of Dogtown, which is correct me if I'm wrong. The film she did right after this, I think in like 2005. This film was her first in 2003, and I say first directed because she had been working in the industry for a long time before this as a production designer and had a background in architecture. And she studied acting for five years in preparation for directing. So she was kind of like always heading in this direction. But yeah, this is technically her first film. Why are we talking about this film today? I do think Catherine Hardwick is a big part of that. I had always heard that this was a film written by a 13-year-old, and I thought that was really interesting. I also heard it was super queer girl coded, and there's plenty of mutual pining and horny girl kissing. Um, But I also just think Catherine Hardwick's never come out, and I would never, like, insinuate that she's gay. But there's just something about her work, including Twilight, that just feels like a little bit off the straight path. And yeah. maybe I need to rewatch um, Lords of Dogtown and just kind of get a read. But I do feel like she's kind of like queer coded to me. Yeah. Like not to speculate on her sexuality at all, but in what to relate to what you're saying, if you would have told me she was a lesbian, I'd be like, of okay. course. Yeah. yeah. I'd be like, okay. Because the style of these films, there's always like an undercurrent that, I mean, it's great that I think in this case was written by a woman and then directed by a woman. So that always feels like fresh, but yeah. there's something else there too. Well, she's always like in women's mind in a way where she takes so much attention to detail and like doesn't always show women at like their most flattering or their most conventionally attractive or, you know, I mean, she always just like takes women's stories like a little bit from the left, like of center. And even though the girls in this film are very confident looking in a lot of ways, I think they're both have a lot of deep seated hurt and self and lack of self-worth that I think is relatable to me as a 13 year old, not necessarily like the drugs that they're doing and the sex that they're having. But if that's part of that too, you know, like how did those things fit into your view of yourself when you're like, not quite a kid, not yet a woman. I'm not a girl. That's interesting though. The way that you're putting it is because like you as a child you've you've believed you are the center of the universe and as you're like as women specifically when they leave childhood and enter young adulthood which will become womanhood they're kind of straddling like am i the center of the universe or am i entirely meaningless and like trying to figure out where they sit between those two things cuz society is telling them like once you become a woman 
Well, then you're meaningless. Yeah. And also, like, trying to figure out why they are motivated to feel and do certain things. Like, Evan Rachel Wood's character of Tracy feels so drawn to Evie. And I think, like, trying to figure out why you like the people you like, either as friends or not as friends, like, all of that is, like, brand new to you. And I think Mm -hmm. the question mark kind of spinning around in the back of your head feels like a very queer experience because... Like, her learned experience doesn't necessarily reflect how she acts in this case. And I think that she's, like, a very complex character for someone who's, like, in the seventh grade. Yeah. And this character is portrayed, like I said, by Evan Rachel Wood, certified bicon. Yeah. Honestly, an actress I love, have always loved ever since I saw Across the Universe. This is just, like, so fucking impressive. How old was she? Both of these actresses, Nikki Reed and Evan Rachel Wood, were 14 at the time of filming. Evan turned 15 during production, but, like, actual teenagers. Wow. Yeah. That is mind-blowing. See, I would have been okay with this being 15. I think Yeah. 13, I wasn't a 13-year-old in 2003, but, like, it still feels like it skews a little young. I think it could, if it was 15, I would be like, Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Maybe things aren't quite as illegal as they're feeling. I totally agree with you. It's not a huge qualm I have. Yeah. I did find myself while I was watching the movie, like, kind of placing them more in, like, a high school scenario. Oh, excuse me. Which is not how the film is intended. But just the way they act, how self-assured they are, the access they have in the world, how they look, like, these girls. I have a, a picture of what I look like at 13. Can I show it to you? Because it's yeah. literally not what these girls look like. I would love to see it. I'm like actually weaponizing you with something very crucial. You have to pinky promise me. You cannot make fun of me too much. Too much is subjective, so I do promise. <laughs> this was Let's one see. of the core memories of my life. I need you to life. zoom in for me, please. Like, let me, just let me take it from here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's Lizzie, I'm assuming, Disney World. It's, uh, what's the one in Atlanta? Six Flags. You have a baseball hat on. You're like, you're so short. You've got a humongous t-shirt on. And then you're wearing like boys board shorts. Yes. And you're so flat chested. Oh my God. <laughs> you're just, you look like you're 13. It's just, it's adorable. You have like a goofy smile on. There's you, like no showing skin at this age. No, Lizzie's dressed like a full boy. Like I, you're stood next to a boy who's dressed more femininely than you are. <laughs> and he's holding a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, and I have another picture for you. This is like me and my little friend group. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like, Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Lizzie's wearing... Okay, so let me paint a picture. So it's Lizzie and, like, five of her friends all in front of some wooden bleachers, and they're all, like, arms around each other's neck. Lizzie is wearing corduroy flare pants. And remember those terrible polo shirts that were, like, layered polo shirts, but all in one? From, like, like, Aeropostale. Exactly. It's like a bright green top polo and then, like, a bright pink bottom polo. Oh, your fringe is terrible vibes. Dude... Like you look like you're in the fourth grade and I, I know totally that you're 13, which is crazy. Like this baby girl, I didn't know. I hadn't said the word drugs. <laughs> I hadn't been near a beer. I definitely didn't think about having sex with people. No. Like 
What was, is this, like, what, on the spectrum of 13 to Lizzie went to Christian high school and wore boys board shorts, like, where were you in the spectrum of life as a 13-year-old? I have my, I was just looking at all my yearbooks because I went to my high school reunion, but I have a yearbook from seventh grade. It's so topical on my mind right now. Oh, my God. And it's me because I was first chair clarinet, not to brag. And Um, Girl. It was the only time in my life I cut my hair short. I have never since because it was so bad. I literally lost friends <laughs> and not in the like sitcom me like, oh, whatever. It's like I had a friend group before I cut my hair. None of them talked to me after I cut my hair. It was like day and night. I was like coconut head from Ned's Declassified. And it's a picture of me holding my clarinet <laughs> with my coconut head hair <laughs> and I'm wearing a cummerbund. <laughs> like, oh my God. I and I wasn't on track to hit puberty for like four more years. Like I hit puberty so late that watching thirteen, I was like, "What?" Like these (laughs) girls like are doing their hair and their makeup and dressing and showing their bodies. Like my number one goal as a thirteen year old was to cover as much of my body as possible. I Mm -hmm. wore sweatshirts to school every day, no matter the temperature, because I was so ashamed of my arm hair. I was like, "Don't look at me." Just don't look at me. Don't look I'm not at me. There. And like, don't even consider touching me. Like, it's not going to happen. Lee, what were you like as a 13-year-old? Where were you oh on gosh. that spectrum? I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh! trading card game, probably. <laughs> Played a lot of video games. That was probably when I started playing D&D. But uh, I remember my bar mitzvah. So when I was like 13, uh, I was really into Jax at the time. Do you know? Like the game, the game with like yeah. the bouncing ball? Because I remember my parents were like, you were playing jacks at your bar mitzvah. Like, we we oh were like, God. I had all my friends over. We were like playing stuff too. But like, yeah, we were like. Playing jacks big... like you're playing like gambling <laughs> yeah, in Vegas. Like, right. But not, not for any money or anything. <laughs> Just playing jacks. Just to be clear for the audience member, it's what you think it is where you bounce a ball and you grab. Pick up the like metal jacks. Yeah, the little metal the spikes. That is so much better than my answer altogether. First chair clarinet, be damned. And on the horizon, I was I was about to enter my Rubik's Cube age. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, like, I'm glad to know we were all on the same page. <laughs> because meanwhile, this is like what Nikki Reed looked like at 13. And I had heard that rumor that like, yeah, she and Catherine Hardwick wrote this script together, which oh, they really? did when no she was way. 13. Oh, you didn't know that? No. It was like always the piece of lore I knew about this film. Um, they had known each other for a long time because Catherine Hardwick had apparently dated her dad, Nikki Reed's dad. Huh. Um, and they wrote this script in only six days. What? And Catherine Hardwick like had a hard time getting it funded, of course, because it's a rated R film about minors, starring mm-hmm. minors. Mm-hmm. But she got Evan Rachel Wood interested and like knew that's who she wanted as the lead after considering a couple of people, including Michelle Trachtenberg. Wow. And right out of Buffy. Well, that's the reason she couldn't do it is because she got the role in Buffy. Oh, wow. And she also considered Mara Wilson, who plays Matilda. Oh, Matilda, yeah. but her dad wouldn't let her do it because I respect that. He read the script. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, gosh. Someone else, too, was it? I'm curious why Nikki Reed didn't play the main character? Um, It's a good question because a lot of the like plot points in the film, especially when it comes to Tracy's family, were modeled off of Nikki Reed's relationship with her family at that time. So I really don't know. Maybe it would have been like too close to the material. I I know that there was a reason behind it. I don't remember exactly what it was. But in the end, they ended up going with Evan Rachel Wood, who was the perfect choice. And then it all really came together 
Catherine Hardwick said whenever Holly Hunter, who plays Tracy's mother, came on board. Who, Cinema babe. Such a crush in this movie. Mwah. Holy yeah. shit. Her Sheryl Crow era. You guys could never touch. All you guys, Y2K out here, you're not even scratching the surface of what Holly Hunter serves in the year 2003. Girl. Like 100%. I would be trying icon. to stay at their house. All the time. Mm -hmm. No, like, let me sleep over. <laughs> like, she cooks you pancakes and she knows how to do your hair. And she's cool like that. Like, mummy. 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 I'm curious with Evan Rachel Wood, because she had been in Practical Magic before, right? She was already very well-versed in the film scene. I think she started, like, as a child, so... Um, well, yeah, I mean, definitely a child in this one. Well, still. like a child child, like a like a nursery school child. Uh, baby. Like 10 years in the industry. Uh, I mean, this was definitely, I think her first like leading role or like, but yeah, she was very well versed. But this was Nikki Reed's first acting job ever. Wow. She is a natural. I know. Isn't that crazy? And I looked into Nikki Reed's career after this. And other than she was in Lords of Dogtown and Twilight, both directed by Catherine Hardwick and like a couple of TV shows, but she never really hit it as huge as Evan Rachel Wood did, who was like, nominated every which way for every award you could ever name and I always wondered about that because I find Nikki Reed to be like a very natural actress she has a very unique face and in this film she's so good like it's so hard to believe that these are actual teenagers because of how much they seem to understand what I think is like really emotionally complex things for that age like mm -hmm. I wouldn't if I had seen this movie at 13 I don't know if I would have understood the complexity of these relationships no I can't I, w I couldn't even understand the complexity of Degrassi. Yeah. And they were so oh polite and Canadian. They just <laughs> were just wearing like thongs, you know. It's yeah. like these people are doing hard drugs. Yeah. No, but that's, I mean, you're right. She was in all those movies. I think before we watched 13, I didn't tie it together that every time I saw Nikki Reed, it was tied to Catherine Hardwick. Maybe they have such a good working relationship. It's hard for her to, you know, have something similar with other directors. But she's like so insanely talented. Yeah. I'm not sure what's up. I think she still, like, does stuff and does good. She just hasn't reached, like, the caliber that Evan Rachel Wood has. Well, not she's to compare them, but... She's married to Ian Summerholder. She is. The guy from Vampire Diaries. I know this yeah. because my fiancé is obsessed with Vampire Diaries. And the fact that they're together just pleases her so much every time I bring up Twilight. What was the vampire series that Evan Rachel Wood starred in? True Blood. True Blood. Okay. Oh, God. The fucking 2000s were all about vampires. We, it was Glee and vampires. <laughs> Nothing else. From 2010 to 2015. So, yeah, once Holly Hunter was on board, basically Catherine Hardwick, she basically, <laughs> I found a quote that was like, we made the movie for one and a half million and I paid myself three dollars. And Whoa. like, I don't think she was kidding. Like, I think she either self-funded or got friends to fund the entirety of this film because no production company or studio would get behind an R-rated film about minors doing this shit. Mm -hmm. And it really fucking paid off for her. We'll talk about like the reception and how the film was distributed later in the episode. But like all the things I just said, her writing it with a teenager in six days about like all this really intense shit. And this was like way before euphoria, y'all. Like it wasn't cool to have minors doing this shit for real on screen. Like she was taking so many risks back to back to back for her first film. I just I'm getting a little annoyed because Having seen it now as an adult, I'd seen it as a kid, like I mentioned, but didn't realize how good it was. But seeing it now as an adult and then also for years of film school, seeing kids being heralded 
as like, what an incredible groundbreaking piece, excuse me, what an incredible groundbreaking piece of work, which it is, but it's just because it's about boys. Yeah. And like no one ever gave 13 the amount of credit that, I think 13 is like, could be said more masterfully done. Yeah. I think it really, every aspect of it is well thought out. I think one of the most effective things about the film is the cinematography. Gorgeous. So they shot the film on Super 16, which is like a very cheap film stock. Then they digitized it so they could warp the colors in like the extreme way that they did. They hit that twilight blue they hard. Hit, yeah, and they kept going. Like, And also one thing I noticed watching the film a couple of times through is that like the coloring of the film changes with the relationship between the two main characters so it starts out very neutral and then as they become friends it's very like warm and glowy and bright and then as they spiral down it gets very like blue and gritty until it finally almost washes out to black and white whenever they have their breakup they're falling out at the end and Mm -hmm. you know it kind of slaps you in the face now but I think like 20 years ago it's like a very interesting use of color and something she tried to employ in twilight which though it may not have worked in as much of like a cinematically masterful way i think is an iconic part of that film too that is what's so funny to me after watching 13 is that i thought that the colors were set for twilight and like they just had to adhere like this is just going to be really blue but Catherine hardwick came in directed Twilight, blue as shit, and then they had to stick with it for the rest of the series. I know. They're like, it can't be. But like on any like foggy, rainy day, you, you're you instantly like, oh, it's like a Twilight day. I'm in Forks. You know, like it's she so rewrote nature. But in California, it's blue as shit. Like that is so funny. Yeah. Love her. And also just the way they filmed it, like it was, it's like 99% handheld in a way that she said like, was basically filmed like it was war photography. Like, what's going to happen next? Like, when's the next bomb going to go off? Um, and it's very, very shaky and, like, really quick shots when it needs to be and really long shots at other times. Uh, I do think that the cinematography is very effective to get that, like, just frenetic, angsty fucking energy that you felt when you were as pissed as you had ever been in your entire life at age 13 at your parents. Like, the thing about 13 is, like, your hormones are raging so hard like you actually are feeling the saddest you have ever felt and the angriest you've ever felt and the most joy you've ever felt and the most scared like and I think she really nailed the emotional intensity of that in this film just that line from Jennifer's body hell is a teenage girl honestly Catherine Hardwick said absolutely okay Diablo Coe written Catherine Hardwick directed Shut up. I'm just calling it sometime in the future. I would love that. But now that we've set the scene, let's get into the movie. Guess who I hung out with today? Eve is immoral. Well, you could really help me if I lived here. Hey, boys. All right, the movie opens with two 13-year-old girls doing whippets and slapping the absolute dog shit out of each other. Wow, yeah. I, oh, it's actually not whippets. They're like, it's keyboard cleaner. Is that not whippets? No, they're different. What's a whippet? It's kind of like the effect of like laughing gas. But like what? It's like compressed air. air. Is that not what keyboard cleaner is? I think keyboard cleaner has like shit in it that gets you high kind of like glue. I don't think they're the same kind of high. I could be wrong. Okay. 
they're huffing something and making them so numb that they want to like actually punch each other in the face because they're like, ha ha, I can't feel it. Ha, ha, ha. I hate this scene. <laughs> okay, this is probably the most unrealistic scene to me because I don't know. I haven't done a lot of drugs, but I've done a fair bit. And the only one that makes me feel like this is like really bad Coke. Yeah. Why can't they just be doing really bad Coke? I don't hate this scene because I think it's unrealistic. I just hate, I've just gotten really sensitive to like body shit in movies now, especially when it's realistic and it, this yeah. seemed very realistic. Oh, yeah. So it's like, um, mm. Um, I think both of them sustained minor injuries while filming this scene. Why? And I would say that at least three times throughout this <laughs> day. Like, I, there's so many slight injuries that happened on this fucking set. It's crazy. Holy shit. Um, so, yeah, we've got seasoned deviant Evie, played by Nikki Reed, and her more innocent counterpart, Tracy, Evan Rachel Wood. And we flash back to four months earlier. Oh, yeah, when she's hanging out with Vanessa Hudgens. Yes, Tracy is hanging out. Her best friend is Vanessa Ann Hudgens, which this is her film debut. Wow. She was also like 14, maybe on the edge of 15 while filming. She looks so much younger than all of them. She's based off her attire. This like was her direct pipeline to High School Musical, like got to be because mm-hmm. she's playing the same character. Like this is the High School Musical universe. She's Gabriella coded. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, so they're best friends. Tracy is just a sweet, innocent girl, good, sweet teen. Uh, we also meet her mom, Mel, played by Holly Hunter, which if you don't recognize her voice, go watch The Incredibles again because she's serving that thick Elastigirl booty. Her and Top of the Lake changed everything for me. <laughs> Holly Hunter, I feel, I mean, she's not like underappreciated I, maybe I've just underappreciated her, but I'm about to go in like a huge Holly Hunter phase because I don't think she makes a misstep in this film. No, she's spot on. Yeah. So yeah, we meet her. They have a pretty good relationship. And right off the bat, we get a view of Tracy's room. And you know, we like to study these queer girl rooms. And this one is no exception. Actually, I have a photo here and we can kind of break down some of the elements in it. All right. I'm looking at a photo of Tracy's bedroom, which honestly doesn't look very dissimilar to Bella's bedroom from Twilight. You like purple, right? Yeah, you like purple. I wonder if they have the same production designer. I'd be curious to know. Um, but Oh, good point. Yeah. We see photos of what is like primarily two individuals, Josh Hartnett and <laughs> Neve Campbell, which reads so bisexual to me. You said something while we were watching. You were like, wow, this girl is tragically bisexual. <laughs> and I was like, that is real. Like for every photo of Josh Hartnett, there's like another right next to it of Neve Campbell. <laughs> it's like perfectly split down the middle of like topless dudes and girls wearing red lipstick. Love it. Um, she also has one of these like fiber octic lamps that's like a bunch it almost looks like a porcupine like it's a bunch of springy fiber optics and they yeah. like lit up from the bottom I had that lamp I am like feeling my absolute self looking at this room this is very limited too yeah you gotta love it um, but yeah the walls are absolutely covered in magazine clippings uh, including this beauty poster which is how would you describe this poster we see it several times throughout the film yeah i think it's meant to be like a maybelline like a cosmetic company it reads as sybil and it's like a blank face like eyebrows eyes nose and lips it's like really washed out Mm -hmm. yeah we see this poster all throughout the film and kind of like varying states of deterioration as the film goes on and as Tracy kind of reaches low and lower points. But the first time we see it is here. 
Um, this poster was designed for the film, of course, and it's Nikki Reed's eyes. Wow. It does look like her eyes. It's different nose and lips, though. Yeah. It's a little bit of foreshadowing, I think, to have this person on the wall watching her. Um, but yeah, you know what we say about queer girls in their rooms and if there's like fucking a million photos on the walls, it's kind of like that way of a character to experiment with how they see themselves, who they're attracted to, who they want to be, and always feels a little bit gay. Yeah. I mean, it certainly depends on what's on their wall, but most of the movies we cover here, the character is gay or bisexual, so it all feels kind of like the same note. Uh, but it's just like a Pinterest board of all the shit that they think is hot. And it's always like a good mix of like just women, just men, or something in between that really just reads as kind of gay. And we'll see Evie's room a little later, and it's similar in some ways, and we'll take a moment and talk about that as well. But for now, we head out to middle school with Tracy, and we meet the hottest girl in school, and it's very clear Tracy wants to be involved with that. It's like her eyes get huge, like she's like obsessed with with her. Right away, and it's not like Tracy doesn't have friends. Like Mm -hmm. she has a cute little friend group of her A-plus student girls, But it's Nikki Reed, it's Evie that she wants. So she convinces her mom to like buy her a bunch of new clothes so she looks hotter and wears her jeans lower so she get noticed by Evie and it it totally works. And I want to show you that scene right now. A meet cute, dare I say. Cute shirt. Thanks. Cute belt. Call me after school. We can go shopping on Melrose. Sam. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> we see Tracy's character following Evie's character through the campus until she gets her attention. And both girls, as they face each other, and this is their meet cue, they're like locking eyes. They're also assessing each other. They're like looking each other up and down and like focusing in on she's got cute jeans well she's got a cute shirt it's kind of like when predator sees like someone (laughs) it it wants to kill and it's like it's like body temperature blah 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 clothes blah 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 like it's like a breakdown of of, taking all the stats exactly all the assessment so they size each other up and then it's the eye contact is so heavy and like loaded in this scene and it's like the look down to the lips look up to the eyes like these Mm -hmm. are 13 year olds how do they know how to do that first of all yeah um, but yeah, this moment of like, cause the editor like zooms in on like the bracelet or the like belly button ring and it's like a still shot, like a still frame. I just like, I get such a kick out of this montage. It's so good. It's such a time capsule. Yeah. Um, but I think it's like very clear that this is a strong as fuck girl crush mm-hmm. in both directions. Like yeah. Evie's eyeing Tracy down like predator at prey. Mm-hmm. And Tracy is like, hey, look, I want something out of you in return. So, like, mutually beneficial. Yeah. She's like, here's my number. And she celebrates hard. Does, like, a little dance. Yeah. This is very cute. I think if this was the extent of the, like, tension of the film, I'd be like, oh, maybe let's not read into it. Maybe they're just friends. But, like, it gets so much more sexually explicit with these characters and in their other relationships that this is the only one that feels actually like romantic at all. Yeah. It's kind of like the core, like no matter what these two girls are doing with like other people, boys off frame and on frame, like it always feels like they come back to each other. And this is like the basis of where they start, um, which is really interesting. And, you know, I think at 13, you can like walk up to someone and be like, Hey, cool shirt. You want to be best friends? Like, and Mm -hmm. this is very that, 
Um, but as we'll see as the film goes on, Evie kind of has like ulterior motives as well. So they do end up meeting later at basically Hot Topic on Melrose to <laughs> go shopping. It's like Spencer's. Spencer's, you're right. It's more like Spencer's. It's like <laughs> pokey bracelets and little G-strings and shit like that. And Evie and her friend are stealing and Tracy doesn't have any money. So she uh, ends up pickpocketing a woman's purse, mm -hmm. taking a wad of cash and treating all the girls to a shopping spree at Skechers. I know Euphoria has come and made all of this look so fucking pre-K, but <laughs> back in my day, I was binging Degrassi and the way that every single scene would have had its own very special episode of Degrassi, yeah. the things they cover in this film couldn't even be accomplished in an entire season. Yeah. No, I, the entire series couldn't touch <laughs> the 93 minutes of this film runs. Absolutely. I saw a review on Letterboxd that was like 13 walks so that Euphoria girlies could run. And I said, this is the pipeline. The Degrassi erasure, though. You're making sure we don't forget about Degrassi. I just want you guys to know. This is very Degrassi. <laughs> Degrassi erasure. I think it's like we've said that word more than any other word so far this episode. I just want her name to be said. <laughs> Remember her name. Give her her flowers. <laughs> so they go to Skechers, buy a bunch of Skechers. And that was the most unrealistic fucking part. Were they ever popular? Sketchers? Yeah. Yeah. In the 2000s, they definitely were. I think in this photo I showed you, I'm literally wearing sketches. I had a black pair with not white bottoms dick, and a rainbow. That does not mean Um, Absolutely it does. Am I not a human being in society? <laughs> you showed me two photos of yourself. You're like, look at how much of a bag of a non-popular person I was. And I'm like, were they in vogue? And you were like, well, I was wearing... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Old Navy and Sketchers. Okay, get off my... <laughs> Bye. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just drawing correlations. I literally hate you. <laughs> we would have been friends. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Fine. That's all it took. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very easily to persuade. Okay. <laughs> I know because I think you're right. Fucking nerd. Yeah. Fucking ass nerd. Uh, Tracy calls shopping with Evie the best day of her life. And that night at dinner, Mel's deadbeat boyfriend comes over, and Tracy is pissed. Okay. Played by Jeremy Sisto, yeah. who plays Alton from Clueless. Uh, if you're a big Clueless fan, um, like I am, you'll recognize Jeremy Sisto. Yeah. Also, when this we were watching this together, I had to pause it to tell Lizzie that there is a screen test with Jeremy Sisto as Jack and Kate Winslet as Rose in the Titanic. It is so hard to watch because he uses like a regular Californian Jeremy Sisto voice like Elton from Clueless. It's just Elton from Clueless and Kate Winslet yeah. in Titanic. Wait, did you find it? I did. You want to watch it? Yeah, can we see some of it? Oh, and God forbid I should be unhappy in my perfect gleaming world. Nobody knows a thing that's inside of me. So what, you just decided to go down to the fantail and practice your high dive? <laughs> so sorry i'm so sorry i don't mean to be mean but what the fuck they're doing two totally different acting exercises just near each other yeah right literally the camera loves kate winslet and it like can barely look at jeremy's sister straight on i i swear if i didn't know this was real i would think it was like photoshopped next to each other wait though there's more no i need you to hear this interview with kate winslet no. from like very recently so I, this other actor that I did read with, whose name I'm afraid I really what, can't is it remember. Maybe, um, I'm going to throw one out. We can always cut it. Uh, um, Jeremy Sisto, was he also? Because I heard he was one of the ones that was It might have close. been him. Okay. It might have been him. Okay. 
but I can't recall, no to be honest. So it's a really long time ago. Yeah. Um, but I remember him, he, whoever it was, very much wanted to let me know that he had been there doing this auditioning thing the whole of the day before and absolutely threw out a couple of names of people who he had been auditioning with. It's like a psychological thing? In camera <laughs> that he was completely trying to fuck me up. And I just went, mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just... I just took from that, wow, I'll never do that yeah, to another actor. I will never, ever do that to another actor. What is the point? But I also thought, you're not going to get this part. <laughs> I could just tell. He was just way too, um, he was just way too pleased with himself. Yeah. And Jim Cameron. Lizzie. Bro. I need to give you snaps for finding this lore because this is baked into an interview for Avatar The Way of Water. <laughs> the fact that you found this is exceptional. But I love that Caitlin's like, can't remember the name of this man. <laughs> oh, it and also must be him. I really dresses him down entirely. Dude. Oh, this is what I live for. It's the, just like... so entirely Elton. Like, it is very clueless Elton. Yeah. I think Jeremy Sisso does fine in this role. This is about all he needs to have. I'll say nothing more. You were like, yeah, you know, this guy, conventionally attractive, Jeremy Sisto. And I was like, uh, eh. Like, <laughs> Francis Hall would be like, eh. don't judge me. Anyway, Tracy makes it very clear she fucking hates this guy. There's obviously a history between her and her mom. And she's, it's basically what she hinges her whole conflict with her mom on the fact that you said this guy would never come back and get him out of here I don't want him in my house and we never see him on screen like treat her poorly or do anything to prove he's a that bad of a guy he's just kind of a deadbeat I mean there's a flashback where she sees him like ODing yeah um again he's not like trying to get her to do drugs she like walks in while he's like overdosed so I mean not to play that down but right but the level of anger she has kind of reads to the audience like she could pick anything to be mad at her mom exactly. about. Exactly. And this is just what she's chosen. Because her father, her biological father is still in the picture. He's just like kind of living the like, I've got a new life, new baby, new job, don't have time for you kind mm -hmm. of thing. Like he's supposed to pick them up on the weekends and he, of course, never does. And instead of being mad at him and realizing that he's doing absolutely nothing for them but sending a check once a month mm -hmm. she chooses her mom to funnel all her vitriol to mm -hmm. and you actually pointed this out well yeah I, this is something i have a strong feeling towards if you've listened to the writing in cars with boys episodes but there's a similar dynamic and i think that single mothers often catch so much heat and i think that the absent fathers are given so much tolerance and grace from mm -hmm. society where mothers are not. So it's really hard for me to watch children lash out at the parent that decided to stay around, who in this film is just clearly doing the best that she can. And I think it, it always strikes a chord with me because it's terribly true. Like yeah. It's incredibly realistic. Well, it's like someone can be like, oh, well, I have all these negative memories with my mom, you know, all these bad things that I have to work through. And it's like, well, yeah, of course you have negative memories with your mom. Your dad wasn't around mm -hmm. to make negative memories. So you can like project whatever hopes, desires, wishes you want mm -hmm. onto this absent person. You know, we're getting a little deep here, but like the fact that every single time she's yelling at her mom, she's bringing up the fact that this boyfriend is here who's honestly like seems to be giving some 
level of support to her mom. Not the best because he walks out at a certain point. But you know what I mean? Like he mm -hmm. is physically there when her dad isn't. And when Tracy is talking to her dad, she like is so condescending to her mother. Like when she does yeah. call him on the phone, she's like, mom, I'm talking to dad. And she yeah. kind of like looks at her mom like she's gross. Yeah, totally. It's not cute. Yeah, it's subtle and it's it's a very realistic part of being 13 because I think this is around the time that you start resenting your family just for being near you, yeah. <laughs> period. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, Evie and Tracy are starting to become really, really close and very quickly they start influencing each other like doing hard drugs, staying out late, selling drugs, having sex with boys. They go get their tongues pierced, and then in a scene I know you hate, Evie pierces Tracy's belly button oh. in, their, in their bedroom. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, like, a couple of accidental uh, injuries on set. Don't, and, don't. Oh, it's nothing crazy. It's just, like, Nikki Reed ac actually poked Evan's belly button a little bit um, with a needle yeah. while they were filming this. That's what I didn't want to hear, Elizabeth. Well, like, you already saw it. Okay, can you watch that? That scene in the parent trap, or does this also well, scream you out ears as hard? Are, ears are different because it's a straight needle. I've pierced my sister's ears with sewing needles. It's the fact that I've seen so many, both of my sisters get their belly button pierced, and the, the needle is like a hook. Curved, yeah. So that it doesn't hit any of the necessary veins or arteries in your stomach. If you just go straight through, you're going to hit some shit that you need functionally. <laughs> Women in STEM, y'all. Women in STEM. I've pierced a lot of my sister's shit, and that was something I would never do. And seeing it, oh my God. Lizzie probably, we're talking always about how much I love horror movies and like the scary shit that I like, but it's this realistic stuff that I can't fucking stand. Interesting. You're such an enigma. Oh my God. Thank you. Complex, like a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> can't solve you. Stop. You're going to make me cry. Oh um, so yeah, they're doing all this bad shit together the film like i mentioned is like supposed to make you think that evie is influencing tracy but part of me is like girl tracy wanted this shit mm -hmm. like she was smoking cigarettes before evie came around and she's just like dying for the op like no one told her to steal that woman's purse yeah as lizzie's saying it's you don't even see evie so much as offer any of the drugs or alcohol with words She's just, yeah. Evie herself is about to do something. And then Tracy is usually like, can I have some? Yeah. Whereas like the first time I smoked weed, I was peer pressured for like weeks before. Then I was yeah. like, I'll take one hit. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, they're taking acid. And also Tracy doesn't exhibit any re reservations about, she doesn't ask like, what is this? No. Any, so it just implies that like she doesn't put much stock in her own well-being yeah. initially. Yeah. She's more than willing to go down, like to walk through the doors that are being opened for her by this person with like more experience with mm -hmm. these types of activities. So I think anyone that's like, Evie's a bad influence. I'm like, girl. If it wasn't this person, it would be somebody in the eighth grade or the ninth grade or in college. Like it's not hard to find someone to enable yeah. bad habits. Definitely. Just open your eyes. <laughs> Except for at my school, Hosanna Christian Academy was not offering me any bad eggs. Judson Early College Academy. Thank you. We didn't even have a sports team. I'm surprised I was allowed to do Rubik's Cubes at school. That was probably <laughs> too much fun for us. They're like too recreational <laughs> infraction. So yeah, the girls are getting close, but then they get really close. Yeah. The, uh, there's a scene where Tracy visits Evie in... 
Evie's guardian's house, which were like only there for probably like one or two scenes, the whole movie. And we see Evie's room for the first time. And it's covered similarly, like Tracy's room, like magazine clippings everywhere. But it's like a lot of Christina Ricci. It's it's only Christina Ricci and headless male torsos. Only. If that doesn't scream, I'm struggling with my sexuality. (laughs) I do not know what does. Actually, I wanted to watch the scene with you. Love to. Yeah, baby. <gasps> I love you, Christina Ricci. You get to make out with Javi! <laughs> you don't know how to kiss, do you? Oh, no, 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 no. Yes, I do. Me and Noah practice with Coral Intention this like 50 times. Right. So you want me to prove it, Lesbo? Hell no. <laughs> well, the proof is in the lesbian pudding. Yeah. What is the lesbian pudding, Sam? Oh, uh, wow. I'm glad you asked. We watch Tracy run into Evie's room, which we get that beautiful wall of Christina Ricci on male's torso. <laughs> Literally, I'm not kidding. The only thing on her walls. And then they get a call from... Tracy's crush, who they invite over very quickly, and then Evie is asking Tracy, like, have you ever even kissed a boy? And Tracy says, me and Noelle watched Cruel Intentions. We used to practice the Cruel Intentions all the time, which Noelle— She said, like, 50 times. Yeah, which is— Vanessa, Vanessa right? Ann Hudgens, her friend Noelle. Oh, my— Which makes so much more sense watching this back, why that character of Noelle, played by Vanessa Ann Hudgens, was so salty when we see her later on in the film. Yeah. Oh, my God. They were roommates. They were roommates, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Wow. She ghosted the shit out of her. She stole her girl. Yeah. It's so messy. Oh, and then we get this, like, really rich inner subtextual reference because we did Cruel Intentions uh, last summer. And... I don't know if you've seen that movie, but you've probably have at least seen the clips of the scene on the internet where the two leads are like practicing kissing on each other at the park. So I love whenever it's like a movie in a movie wrapped in a taco. It's a turducken um, of subtextual references. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, turducken. And then they start kissing. They make the fuck out. Yeah. It's just so uncomfortable it for is. me. I mean, they're having a great time. I'm, and I think they work really well together. I, I'm trying to say like as set pieces because like it feels weird to talk about the chemistry of two children. Yeah. Well, the way the film, the way this scene is shot is like I, I think probably done out of necessity for a lot of reasons. But I think doesn't really serve the scene in terms of like comfortability. But it's all one long take at least this whole moment is one long take and it's super handheld so it just feels very voyeuristic and like a very like creeping through the window kind of way and you know if I hadn't known that this film was like written from the heart with as much accuracy as absolute possible and like handled by a female director I would be a little like this is kind of gross and unrealistic which makes you question as you were saying at the beginning of the episode how challenging it was for Catherine Hardwick to get this film to be made, if I'm looking at it on paper and everyone I know in the industry has said no, and I think, okay, it's time to cut some shit, this would be the scene for me that would have to go, Mm -hmm. which means like if she kept it in here Mm -hmm. after all of the standoffishness due to a particular scene, it really begs the question, 
she must feel very strongly, yeah. the, the filmmaker, about this scene. And what does that scene say to us? And Nikki Reed, an actual 13-year-old who's lending her experience to this, like, we don't know exactly in what way, but, like, maybe this does strike a relatable chord mm-hmm. amongst, in the same way that Cruel Intentions does, which I think is a movie that, like, doesn't hit as hard in a lot of places, but in this scene in particular, like, makes it stand out. I also will say this. I was on a trip with a bunch of lesbians and one straight woman. And we were all sharing a bathroom at one point. And like one of the lesbians would go in, take a shower, come out. The other one, you know, we were all taking turns. And the straight girl on the trip was like, wow, it's funny. Straight girls are so much gayer than you guys. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, well, if we were all straight, like she had just come from a bachelorette trip. She was like, we were all taking showers together, like touching each other's boobs. Like we were naked the entire time, you know? And she was like, it's just funny because you guys are just, it seems like. Like you're more reserved and like shy. Mm -hmm. So maybe when I watch like Cruel Intentions, I'm like, no one would ever teach another, like I, as a girl, I would never teach another girl how to kiss. And it's because, well, maybe that's what I feel because I'm actually gay. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe straight girls are doing stuff like this. Maybe. I wish we had one in the studio. <laughs> to let us know. <laughs> Please write in. If there's a single straight woman listening to this. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it must resonate with someone for some reason. So, um, yeah. Fucking after this, things really fucking spiral out of control. Tracy and Mel's relationship gets more and more volatile. They have multiple screaming matches. And it eventually comes out where there's somewhat of an intervention scene where... Tracy comes home and there's Evie, Evie's guardian, and Mel waiting for her in the living room. She kind of tries to make a run for it. But the bathroom window is shut. Shut as fuck. Mm -hmm. She's not going anywhere. So her um, Evie's guardian basically confronts her with a bunch of drugs and money they found around her room. And she basically is like, I'm taking Evie far away from you because you're a bad influence. And... I know as an audience member, we should be upset that Tracy is being pinned as a bad influence. But in that moment, I like turned to Lizzie and was like, this is the veracity that I wanted Tracy's mom to have the whole time. Like, put your foot down. It's clear this kid's a bad influence. Just say, you're not allowed to see her anymore at the very least. It took like a whole intervention, like four months and her flunking out of the seventh grade before you're like, hey, you might be doing some kind of drugs. Yeah. I mean, I will I will give her this. Like, you see her try, like, very lovingly and then very sternly to talk to Tracy about what she's doing. And she also enlists help for, from the men in her life that are supposed to be there with her. Like, but Tracy's father will have nothing. He's His job yeah, comes first. shitbag. Absolute shitbag. Well, like, his whole scene hits really, really hard. Um, because he's like, well, someone in a nutshell, just tell me what's going on with Tracy. And he obviously is being very flippant, doesn't realize there's a problem, refuses to help. Her partner eventually leaves because he's triggered by the whole situation because he's a recovering addict. And all she can do is really cry on the phone to her sponsor. And I totally hear what you're saying, like the tough love thing that needs to happen. And I guess this is that. Well, yeah, I don't mean that as a critique. Like I thought less of this character. Or I was annoyed with this character for not doing it. But I'm saying like, there will always be a breaking point when your child is doing things like this. And I wish it happened sooner than we wouldn't have a movie. But we're talking about that scene with Tracy's father 
where he enters very begrudgingly for one scene because he's been entirely absent. And before he enters the house to speak to Tracy, Mel is on the porch with Tracy's thing saying, you need to take her. This is the first time she's ever not asked a question when it came to Tracy. She was saying for the first time in the whole movie, you need to take her. This needs to happen. And he ignores her entirely. And he tries to sit down with Tracy and like, what's wrong? I don't know. The last time you saw her, she was wearing Aeropostale and now she's got 15 visible piercings and, yeah. and is on hard drugs. No, it's and he's he's sitting next to Tracy talking to her, but is still absent because his phone keeps ringing. And even his attitude towards what he's asking, he's not asking like, what's wrong, baby? He's asking like, what's wrong? Why is your mother what's upset? Your, yeah, exactly. I, you know, I can't take you. Exactly. Oh, that to me is like the real kicker of this film and like a whole nother fucking narrative Mm -hmm. in its own right. Um, Really well done. Like like I'm saying, like some of this stuff hit so hard and so accurately that it's undeniable. Uh, So after this intervention scene and Tracy's lost everything, her mom has put her foot down, Evie is gone. Tracy kind of has a meltdown, um, especially whenever... Her mother finds out that she's got these cuts on her arms that she's given to herself and they kind of collapse on the kitchen floor. I think this the scene is really beautiful and like so hard to watch. But Tracy's mom refuses to let go of her even as she cries and just like presses her face and her lips to the scars on her arm. It's like like, oh, my God, you guys, like, why am I being forced to feel so much right now? And she just like holds her in bed until dawn. Mm. Um, yeah, goddamn emo, but like very effective and really, I, I would say, yeah, very effective. And not to take away from the poignancy of this final scene, but before when you're talking about Mel kissing Tracy's arm with all of the self-harm scars on it, it kind of gives Twilight. I'm so yeah. sorry. I'm I hate so having sorry. to say this, but someone had to say it because I was going crazy. But yeah. you know, in the final scene yes. of Twilight, if I'm spoiling Twilight for you, you didn't want to watch it anyways. Um, but <laughs> If you haven't seen it now. <laughs> Edward is sucking out the blood, like the poisonous, venomous bite, blood yeah. in Bella's body. And his like hand is at her wrist and she's like wincing in pain. This is quite literally the same shot and the same yeah. color tone and everything. Like he's like crouched over her arm just like Mel is like with her face pressed to it. If you think I didn't. If my Twilight flag wasn't going up like every 15 minutes or so throughout this film, you're so wrong. At one point, she's like making dinner. She's like, I've made Italian. And I'm like, her name's Bella. Her name is Bella. (laughs) But that last scene is really nice because instead of just cutting it on Mel holding Tracy in bed, they do a time lapse of like, it starts at like afternoon and then it goes to evening and then midnight and then dawn and you kind of understand that it's like a new beginning a breaking dawn if you will a breaking dawn and like the color returns to normal after being all washed out and bleak and we get the sense that like she's no longer under evie's spell or whatever mm-hmm. and that's the movie and off movie now the sequel 14 <laughs> let me tell you um just kidding uh reception of this film let's go Hardwick said, we made the film for one and a half million, but I got paid three bucks. However, the film did very, very well. It premiered at Sundance Film Festival where Hardwick won the directing award. Wow. And was also picked up by Fox Searchlight where it ended up grossing $10 million. Holy shit. It was like quite a successful independent film. I sure hope she got more than $3 after that. Yeah, I hope she had like major royalties coming her way. Mm -hmm. 
Holly Hunter was nominated for her role uh, Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars that year. And no both, way. Yeah. This this hit the Oscars? Yeah. No People loved way. this movie. Dude. She, got, was, she didn't win, but she was nominated. That's insane. So well-deserved also. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. And both Holly and Evan Rachel Wood were nominated at the Golden Globes. Yeah. And the rest is history. There's only one thing left to do. Get piercings. <laughs> Pierce each other's belly buttons. <laughs> Let's score this thing. Let's score this drop. So Sam, how do the subtextual scores work? How the subtextual scores work is we rate the film in two categories. How good is it and how gay is it? We rate each category out of 10 and take an average. And that is the overall subtextual score. Samuel. Mm. On a scale of 1 to 10, how gay is this movie? I will give it a 5. A 5? Even though there's gay kissing? Yeah. This is one of those things when she goes to college, it's going to be, you know, a different movie. Lizzie, how gay is this movie? I give it an 8. Like, if you're bi at 13, you'll be bi at 33, 103. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's like... Start him early at this point, honestly. And I also like that we don't really talk about it. Like, she's never like, oh, do I have to, like, come out to anyone? It's just like, I kiss this girl. I kiss this other girl. We kiss and, like, I, like, think Christina Ricci's hot. All right, cool. Next. You know. It is the last thing on her list of actual issues right now. (laughs) Sam, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good is this movie? I really enjoyed it. I'll give it a 7. 7? Yes, sir. I'll give it a a 7.5. Damn. Got a one-up when you like that. Sure do. All right. That gives this film a subtextual score of 6.9. That's pretty dang good. Yeah. Pretty dang good. Pretty dang good movie. Catherine Hardwick. You know, it's funny. She went on to do like the fucking nativity story about Mary and Joseph. That's what I was going to ask. What happened after Twilight? After Twilight, she went on to do a bunch of shit, y'all. She did the nativity story, like I said, Red Riding Hood starting starring Amanda Seyfried. And then most recently, a movie I feel like we should watch. It's called Mafia Mama, and it's starring Tony Collette as, like, a female mob boss. Yeah. Um, Not many of her movies have been the highest rated in the world, but I appreciate that she keeps making them. Sting. The fact that he keeps (laughs) making music. You got to respect it. Every time I read an interview with Catherine Hardwick, I'm like, we would so be friends. It's crazy. She's just... She seems like a nice lady. I think she's like subtextual certified. Yeah. Next to Kenny Ortega. Yeah. Kenny Ortega. They get the stamp of approval from us. Uh, All right, Sam, any closing thoughts? Um, I will not be getting any piercings anytime soon. (laughs) Too squeamish. I'm too squeamish. And uh, I hope low-rise jeans never come back in style. Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll drink to that. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us on patreon.com slash textualpod. See you next week.